Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Awesome. Uh, Well, my family and I uh, just came back from a week away, which was really lovely. Um, Though, you know, I I, I still find it strange that we continue to plan our beach holidays in the middle of July um, every single time. (laughs) I do understand, though, it's a farm thing, but it's crazy. It's crazy. But it was lovely. Um, But as lovely as it was, I have actually read that the happiest part of your holiday happens way before you ever step foot in your destination. Did you know this? According to um, a 2010 study, and yes, someone out there gets to study if holidays make you happy and get paid for it. And I'd like to find that ad on Seek. But anyway, that aside, (laughs) um, according to a 2010 study, just planning or anticipating your trip can actually make you happier than taking it. How crazy is that? Um, The study found that all of the holiday makers in the experiment experienced a significant boost in happiness during the planning stages of the trip. And the reason the researchers suggest is because they were so looking forward to the good times ahead. So the power, that's the power of our expectations. Now, another word for expectation is hope. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So imagine if we could take that feeling that we get when we are confidently expecting a holiday and transpose it into more difficult circumstances. Now that's that's not something that I think is very easily done. For instance, oh man, I just booked a root canal. You guys, I am floating on air. Said no one ever. Nobody says that. But imagine if we could. Imagine if we could transpose that feeling into the everyday or even into the awful. How powerful would that be? Now, uh, there's a psychiatrist and he's actually a Holocaust survivor. His name is Viktor Frankl and he articulates the necessity of hope. Um, and he, he did it through his time spent as a prisoner at various concentration camps during World War II. Now, if we want to look at a hopeless situation, this was the obvious place to start, way worse than a root canal. Um, and he supplied one particular example. He describes a situation between Christmas 1944 and New Year's Day, which is, what, a week in time. And the camp's sick ward experienced a death rate, he says, beyond all previous experience in that week. He says it's not due to a food shortage or worse living conditions, but because the majority of the prisoners had lived in the naive hope that they would be home again by Christmas. And when this hope was unmet, prisoners found no reason to continue holding on, nothing to look forward to. So he says, when their mind and their hope let go, so did their body. So according to Frankel's observation regarding a higher death rate after Christmas, hope is extremely powerful. Hope is extremely powerful. Hope, it appears, is capable of sustaining life. 
While every external factor might root against you, our internal posture can actually counteract our circumstances. That's incredible. But on the flip side, the lack of that posture means our circumstances can steal and destroy even our life. Now, this brings me to the Bible's definition of hope. Because the way the world and the media talk about it is completely different to how Jesus talks about it. You see, when hope is used in the Bible, it's more than a wish. It's more than wishful thinking. It's even more than the expectation of a particular outcome. Like, I'm going to be out of here by Christmas. Just hold on until. This will work out if... Instead, it is the confident expectation of what God has promised. When hope is a mere wish or it's linked too strongly to a particular outcome, its strength becomes the person's internal... um, What's the word I'm looking for? You know, what is it? Wish, yeah. So their their ability to drum up their own... um, perseverance. And I don't know about you, but it's, I I don't do that very well, at least not for very long. (laughs) I can do it for a little bit, but not for very long. Whereas um, hope in the Bible, hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised. And so that strength is not about us at all. That strength is about His faithfulness. And hope in that context moves from hope for something which may or may not eventuate, to hope in someone who can deliver always. When our hope is rooted there, we experience less disappointment. We are more flexible, adaptable, and less likely to be knocked off our feet because hope actually has a stance. It has a posture. And I'm going to show you what that is today. So hoping in rather than hoping for, man, that should be a trademark characteristic of Jesus' followers. People in the world are dying for real hope. Disappointment crushes people, but God has an answer to that. He wants us to live with real hope, no matter our circumstances. You know, but we we don't always get this right. I certainly don't always get this right. So I'm preaching to myself today. And if it helps anyone else along the way, great. (laughs) Um, But some of us, you know, some of us are going to be in a season of high hope. It's going to be easy for us to drum up that holiday feeling and that expectation that, oh, I can't wait for what what life has in store next. This is going to be great. I haven't met too many people in the COVID era who are thinking that way, but it is possible that some of you in the room or at home are feeling that way. God bless you. (laughs) But there's also going to be some people in the room who um, don't feel that way and maybe need to do a little bit of hope summoning. And I'm one of them. What I love about the Bible is that there are universally applicable principles that can be applied no matter your circumstances. And the concept of hope is one of those. So everything we're going to look at today applies to all of us, to all of us. So what I'd love for you to do is grab your notebooks if you're at home, grab your phone, note little appy thing if you're in the room, and I want you to lean in. 
I want you to lean in because I really believe that God wants to give you a dose of hope today. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who is in control, that you are a God who is far, far bigger than us and that you are a God of hope and life. Father, we lean on you today. We open our ears to you, God. Speak to us, Father, about your hope, about how we can rely on you, God. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so you've got your pens, notebooks, fingers ready for all of the keeping. Great. Okay, so like I said, we are all going to be in a different place when it comes to nailing this. And I don't want any single person to feel bad about where they're at. Um, You're in good company. Habakkuk went on this journey just like the rest of us. Now, Habakkuk was a, a prophet of God. His prophecy was directed to a world through the eyes of God's people that must have seemed on the edge of disaster. He was distressed about God's apparent inaction in the world. He wanted to see God do something more, particularly in the area of justice. And he couldn't understand why God was allowing terrible things to happen to his world. We see his frustration. We read it in Habakkuk 1 verses 2 to 3. He says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Have you guys ever felt that way? Let's have a look at the world around us and how uncertain things are sometimes. Have you ever ever had your eyes firmly on your circumstances? And so you felt a little bit like God was silent and it ate away at your hope. Well, that actually reminds me of Peter in the account where he walks on water. So I want to flip over to that for just a minute. Matthew 14, verses 24 to 32. Uh, So Jesus has gone away to pray at this point, and he has sent his disciples ahead of him in a boat. So they're all clambered into the boat um, on dusk, and they're heading across to the other side. And this is where we pick up the story. The boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. That's a fair response, I'm just saying. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me, to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Amazing. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, crying out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat together, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You see in this account, Jesus' followers, with the wind against them. 
Circumstances were buffering them left to right. And in those circumstances, Jesus comes to them. But he comes to them right before dawn, which I found was a little bit interesting because that's a long way into the night. (laughs) They were there a while. But they were actually safe in the boat. They were okay. And when he came, they didn't expect it to look like that. So they were afraid and they were tentative. And into that fear, Jesus speaks the word courage. Courage. And then Peter does something truly incredible. He feels so great about what must be about to happen next. He wants in on it, right? He gathers up his hope and he steps out onto the water. And he's doing awesome until he takes his eyes off Jesus. And he looks at the wind. And suddenly the wind is very big and his circumstances are very scary and he begins to sink. And I feel for Peter because sometimes I too pay more attention to what I see than what God has said. Like Habakkuk, my eyes focus too easily on the circumstances and and God looks like he's just out of reach or he's just standing back watching or he's a little bit aloof or maybe he's late. But this story reminds us that that is not at all how God is. Look at that last verse again. When he climbed into the boat, the wind immediately died down. He is not aloof. Jesus climbs into the boat with us. He walks out into our circumstances with us. The second we start to sink, right there, hand ready to pull you out of the waters. Our God is not aloof. He climbs in the boat with us. So the focus of this story is not so much about our striving to get to Him, which will be hit and miss, but the wind dies emphatically when He comes to us. And while we wait for Him to climb in, He says, courage, I'm coming. Just two verses after Habakkuk complains to God about his inaction, we see God's response to Habakkuk in verse five. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am gonna do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. You know, most of the time, we aren't gonna understand the circumstances we're in or why it's happening, or how long it's going to be, or what the solution is even sometimes. But the pattern of Scripture is, wait, He's not finished. So how about we use that time while we wait to get ready to be amazed? This is hope, right? Let's get ready to be amazed. Let's change our demeanour. Because hope is not based on now. Hope is not based on now. It's based on an unchangingly faithful God and His Word and His character. He's the kind of God who climbs into the boat with you and speaks to the wind. Now, I want to take you to Psalm 3 for a while. So if you've got a Bible at home or in the room, I'd love you to put a finger in Psalm 3 because we're going to go go there and then other places and come back. So just you'll get annoyed with me if I tell you we're going somewhere else and then you... So, finger. Okay. (laughs) We're going to look at Psalm 3. So, we're actually going to spend some time unpacking this psalm because I think it provides uh, a roadmap for how to summon some hope 
in ourselves, how to promote it in our hearts. And it's going to give us some clues on what a posture of hope looks like. Verse one, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Now, look, I don't think I have many foes. I would hope that I don't have many foes, but I do have a heck of a lot of circumstances coming at me right now that feel a lot like an army at the gates. And maybe you can relate to that at different points in your life. Um, And so we can relate to Habakkuk feeling that way as well. Next verse, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Now let me pause there. And this is point number one where hope is found. What we say matters. What we say matters. It matters because it feeds our posture. If I were to say to myself time and time again, God will not come through for me. This won't work out. He's distant. He doesn't care. What that does is it erodes my faith. It undermines my courage and it actually robs me of hope. It puts the weight back on my own shoulders and I shrink a little. And and none of that is helpful to me as I wait to see what God is going to do. Now, saying that stuff to myself does not stop God from coming through for me. It doesn't. But what it does do is it weakens my knees and it bows my head and it slumps my shoulders. And I don't enjoy living that way. I don't, I don't enjoy living feeling small. I mean, does anyone want to sign up for that? That's good that you don't because God doesn't want us there either. He doesn't want us to live our faith-filled existence that way. We have access to more than that. So watch what you say to yourself and to others. You can use your voice You can use your voice to turn the atmosphere from defeat into victory. Speak life. Speak hope. Remember where your hope comes from. An unshakable God who has the best in mind for you, not the outcome of the things that we're wishing for. That's too small a thing to cling to. Number two, where we find hope is what we believe matters. You know, we have to remind ourselves of the promises of God and the nature of the God who promises. Romans 8.28 in the Amplified Version says this, And we know with great confidence. And we know with great confidence. Doesn't that sound a lot like the definition of hope? And we know with great confidence that God who is deeply concerned about us causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to His plan and purpose. All things work together for the good of those who love Him. We have a tangible well of hope in our past and a scriptural promise of hope in our future. Hope is found when we remember His faithfulness and His power to redeem all things. He's an expert at it. We only need to tap into the bottomless reservoir of Scripture to find redemptive accounts of love. Like with people like Noah or Job or Jonah or Ruth or the prodigal son or Saul who becomes Paul. Oh, and you. 
and me. You are written into his history of redemption. Jesus paid the ultimate price for your mistakes and for my mistakes. He gave us his life for our own and he gave it before the foundation of the world. And that does that just blow anybody's mind? By the way, before the foundation of the world, he committed to redeeming us into a perfect relationship with him, no matter what we did. Amazing. He always intended to redeem you. And he's redeemed you as a whole person, but he also redeems our circumstances all of the time. Nothing goes to waste with God. My crises become his prodding for me to grow or change or adapt or move from a place that was harmful to me, even if it was comfortable. But it's true that I don't always get it. I don't always understand what's happening in the moment. And I don't always have answers for things that I'm facing. But I know from experience and from promise that my father does have the answers. And that's what I'm going to put my trust in. Disruptions in your life do not disrupt God's redeeming power. Disasters in your life don't diminish His faithfulness. Therefore, our hope remains untouched and undiminished by something as little as our circumstances, even if our circumstances are really, truly big. (laughs) Okay, back to Psalm 3. What does it say next? You, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. Look at the posture change here. The one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. Habakkuk worked this out in the midst of his frustration. He starts out frustrated and wrestling with God. But very soon later, he's saying, you know what? In um, chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand at my watch and I will station myself on the ramparts and I will look to see what God is going to do. How's that for a posture change? Hope is an expectation. Let's speak to God, believe in the goodness of His nature and arrive at an expectation that He will answer. Now the answer may not be what we were hoping for or in the time frame that we were asking for, but He's coming. Craig Rochelle says, My faith isn't just the result I want, but in the character and the goodness of God. Next verse, Psalm 3. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. And the message paraphrase in verses five and six is really interesting in here. And it says, I stretch myself out, I sleep, then I'm up again, rested, tall and steady, fearless before the enemy. Beck Simpson. This is the stance I long for. Rested, tall, steady, 
fearless. This is the posture of hope. This is what it looks like to have hope in the face of any circumstances because from the Lord comes my deliverance. This is a promise I hold on to. Though there is work for me to do and there's a stretch, the heavy lifting is not mine to bear. God delivers. I stretch, I rest. I will do what I can and then hope allows me to rest in the hands of a God who is expert in redeeming all things and creating good from ashes. This is who we serve. I love how Habakkuk puts it. By chapter three, he's got this worked out. He's like, oh wait, my my hope was in the wrong things. My attention was on the wrong stuff. Oh wait, he says in verses 17 and 18, though the fig tree does not bud, And there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God who is my Saviour. This is a man who learnt to foster hope even when he didn't see fruit yet. And it totally changed his posture in the waiting because hope has a posture. It's rested, rested, our hope posture is standing. It's leaning forward. It's expectant. It's eyes forward, waiting to see what God is going to do. It's kind of, you know, ready like an athlete. Because if you take this stance, I don't know if the camera can follow me for a second. If you take this stance, you are ready to suddenly bear weight. You are ready to sprint or move in any direction. And what I love about it is you're ready to reach down and lift others up. Hope has a stance. Now, like Peter, we're not always going to get it right. We're going to falter sometimes. We're going to get some muscle fatigue. And this is where the body of Christ comes into its own. Because those of us who have the stance can reach out to those who are fatigued. Check this out. Isaiah 35 from verse 2. They will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty and splendour of our God. Those are the people who, who have the stance. They know, you know, God is good and I'm expecting good things, right? They're ready. So, encourage the exhausted and make staggering knees firm. Say to those with an anxious and fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Indeed, your God will come. He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Look at this. Those who have the posture of hope are told to encourage the exhausted, help them fix their posture, make their staggering knees firm, and then to speak over them and remind them of God's faithfulness, remind them that God is coming. And that if we do that for each other, it actually creates an atmosphere for miracles. We will see life-changing, life-giving change to dry places. Proverbs 17, 22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. 
That's, that's a lack of hope. When our spirit is dry and our hope is dulled, we have dry bones. And the Bible uses that kind of metaphor time and time again, but especially in Ezekiel 37, in the valley of dry bones. I wanna remind you right now of the redeeming nature of our God today. If you feel like He is far from you and your circumstances are drawing your attention and you feel a little stooped over and a a little dry, I want you to listen to this account of the God who is coming for you. I want you to hear these words and allow them to actually just wash over you. And I want you to claim them for yourself and your circumstances. Hope again, strengthen your knees, shift your posture, He's coming, He's coming. Says the Lord asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. Verse 11, then He said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off and therefore prophesy and say to them, say to them, this is what the Lord says about that circumstance. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the Lord of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord and I will put my spirit in you and you will live. This is the redemptive nature of our God. And this is who we choose to put our trust in. Why don't you bow your heads? We're going to pray. Father God, I pray for all of those who are feeling a little low in hope right now, Lord God, who have had maybe their eyes focused on circumstances that are difficult or uncertain, God. God, I pray that that You would speak powerfully over them right now. I prophesy life into them, even as they hear my voice, Lord God, because You are life and You bring dead things back to life. No circumstance is beyond your control and your influence. No bone is too dry for you to not bring it and knit it back together and make it something better. Those bones in that valley, you know, they they died on bulk, but you raised them as an army, strong and powered by you. God, I pray the same for circumstances right across our region. That You would remind us again of Your nature and Your promises and that we might shift our hope to a God who is worthy of holding on to them. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, 
head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.